Thank you, Jesus. Last week, I shared a message. The title was, Are You Rich Towards God? Are You Rich Towards God? I'm preaching from a series on the kingdom of God. Um, the, the title to the whole series is, That's What Gospel Do You Believe In? I believe in the gospel of the kingdom of God because the gospel of the kingdom of God has come to make right everything that is wrong in the kingdom of the world. So last week I said, are you rich towards God? And I preached from Luke chapter 12, verse 16 to 21. And it was a parable of a farmer who had crops and he had barns and he was prospering so much. It would seem as if the blessing of God was upon him and he started to have bumper crop after bumper crop after bumper crop and he got caught up in the, in the whole spirit of just being blessed. And I said, just being blessed, just being prosperous. And so he took an inventory and he, he studied his situation. He says, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to knock down the small barns that I have or the barns that I have and I'm going to build even bigger barns and I'm going to amass even more wealth. And he did exactly like he planned. And uh, at the end of that parable that Jesus shared, and remember, every parable is a story that God designs to illustrate a truth that God wants to engineer into our lives. That was good. Every parable is a story that God designs to reveal a truth that God wants to engineer into our lives. And at the end of that parable, the farmer said in verse 18 and 19, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. That's what the farmer said at the end of the parable. Those were his closing words. But God, who inspired the parable to reveal a principle, God gives the closing comments. And in verse 21 to 22, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? And then Jesus wraps up the story and in verse 21 he says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves and is not rich towards God. We can get very caught up in the spirit of this world. We can get very caught up in the spirit of the American dream and the American goal. We could get very caught up in the pursuit of our own happiness. It's in our constitution. We're promised the pursuit of happiness. I must admit, as one of the very few nations in the world that would actually include in their constitution that we have the right to pursue our personal happiness. But I have come to find this here in my life, and I find it in the Word of God, that when I pursue the things of God, 
and I'm willing to let go of the things of Rob, God will bless me with more than I could ever imagine. Are you with me, church? Absolutely. And so we have to be careful. It's not that God is contrary to prosperity. The problem with this rich farmer or this man who became so wealthy was that he was wealthy and he had surplus, but he wasn't rich towards God. I'll prove to you in a moment that God wants to be the breath behind your prosperity. But I also will prove to you from Scripture that God wants you to have a heart of generosity. Are you rich towards God? God wants to bless you. But are you rich towards God? Sometimes in the American church, we've made prosperity only about us. One of the things I've heard as I've walked through years of ministry, it's no good you being poor because the poor don't need another poor person. They need us to be rich in generosity. They need us to be rich in kindness. They need us to be rich in service, in acts of mercy and kindness. And when we're struggling so much that we can't even meet our own ends and our own needs, it is very hard to live a life purposefully living for God and serving others. Church, I want to dispel the myth that God doesn't want you to be prosperous. He wants you to be prosperous, but in your prosperity, he wants you to be prosperous towards the kingdom of heaven. He wants you to be prosperous to the vision that God still has in his heart. The vision didn't end when Jesus died on the cross. No, for this purpose was the Son of God come to earth to destroy the yokes and the bondages of darkness. He wants to walk into people's lives every day, ordinary people. He wants to walk into the, 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 the closed, sequestered, dark rooms where people keep their secrets, their injuries, their wounds. He wants to break open the doors where little girls have been abused and now they're a woman and they carry the taint and they carry the scar and one abuser after another comes into their lives even 20 years later. This Jesus of Nazareth didn't die on the cross just so that your sins could be forgiven and you get to go to heaven. He came to walk up and down the streets of strip clubs he came to walk up and down the lives of men and women and set us free from the things that make us in bondage to the horrible things that sometimes oppress us and keep us a prisoner the kingdom yeah come on give the Lord a shout the kingdom of God is about breaking those bondages. The kingdom, the gospel, is about setting people free. It's about invading the dark places where Satan has kept people prisoners. We as a church don't want to just gather on Sundays we want to create a church in each and every one of you. We want to raise up the level of faith and the level of fight so that we don't just be Christians, but we become Christ's in the community. I don't know how many people God has given me opportunity over the years to speak into 
their brokenness, stories that they would never tell, and stories that I would only tell anonymously. How Jesus came and set them free. You see, the issue with this wealthy farmer was that while there's a world that is in devastation, while there are men and women who are suffering grievous hurt and pain, he's gathering up wealth just for his own well-being. What I, what I love about the gospel of the kingdom of God is that it's not every man for himself, it's every man for every man and every woman and every child. Hallelujah. I believe in this gospel. I believe in this Jesus. I believe that there is a work to be done and God is raising up men and women, not to necessarily to be senior pastors, but to be representatives of heaven on earth. You and me, every day, walking the walk and talking the talk and speaking the power of Jesus' name. Living our lives, not just for our own blessing and prosperity, but living our lives and giving of our lives to further the kingdom of God on earth, to increase the effect in the lives of common men and women who are broken and they haven't found the joy of Jesus Christ yet. Yeah, go on, Donna, stand up and give the Lord a shout. I said stand up and she sat down. <laughs> The issue isn't that God's against prosperity. The issue is that God is, in, is against being so totally absorbed in our own blessing that we forget other people are still reeling in misery. Am I preaching today? All right. My message this morning is how big is your bank account in heaven? How big is your bank account in heaven? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, these are Jesus' words. So if you think my title is a little bit carnal or obnoxious or, or worldly or insignificant, I base this on things that Jesus taught. Religion has robbed us of the totality, the grandeur, the magnificence of what God has planned for us in the future. Paul himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and the mind of man cannot conceive what God has prepared for us. If you could imagine this earth before we polluted it, if you could imagine this earth before we deforested it. If you can imagine this earth before one drop of innocent blood was ever shed. If you could see the pristine nature of earth, the glimmering, shining, clear, crystal clear waters that God had poured out over this earth, we would have a slight idea of what he's prepared for us in eternity. Because I want to tell you, in God, everything goes from glory to greater glory. And whatever he had created the earth in, I know this, he will recreate it and it'll be even better than it ever was. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe that with all my heart. You see, God wants to enlarge our lives. Religion gives us and paints a picture for us of an eternity that's boring, of an eternity that is mundane, of an eternity that is devoid of imagination. And I want to tell you, and I am absolutely convinced from Scripture theologically that from the moment Adam fall, fell and from the moment Jesus died on the cross, God initiated his plan to bring his purpose right back to a nanosecond before the first Adam fell. And we will walk with him in the garden. And the Bible says clearly in Revelation, there will be no tears. There will be no pain. There will be no sorrow. I think I've lived three lifetimes of tears and pain and sorrow. And I am looking forward to the total restoration of my salvation. How many of you are looking forward to that as well? So how big is your bank account in heaven? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, Jesus said, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Where presidencies can change from one party to another, where economic policies can be rewritten. And one moment we're living high on the hog, and the next moment we're looking at inflation and devastation. My comments aren't directed to one political side or the other. I refuse to get engaged in the conflict of politics, but I will live engaged against the conflict of the kingdom of darkness. Absolutely. We work hard, we save up, and we want to provide for our families, but financial blessing and prosperity can be fickle. If you ever read and studied about the Great Depression, people went from being multimillionaires to not having anything left to their name in just moments. One of the greatest eras of depression in this nation. And Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures in, uh, on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin don't destroy and where thieves can't break in and they can't steal. And sometimes we think Jesus is just talking figuratively. No, stop being religious. Jesus was being very literal. If we were to read this in the Greek manuscripts, the word treasure in the Greek is the word thesaurus. How many of you have ever owned a book a thesaurus. How many of you know what a thesaurus is? What is it? But a wealth of words. You take one word and it'll give you a dozen words that mean the same thing. Right? A thesaurus. And so here in the Greek, 
The, the soros means wealth, a deposit, a storehouse for precious things, a treasure, a place to store it. And so last week, I'm talking about a guy who built bigger barns, but everything was about him and everything was for him. You see, God has barns too. God wants you to have a deposit. God wants you to be wealthy. And God wants you to store up treasures and even have them in heaven. It is so interesting that we see this purely as a spiritual image rather than as a physical and literal blessing. Treasures. Store up treasures, store up wealth, store up precious things. Have barns stored up waiting for you in heaven. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, just a couple of verses later, Jesus makes a statement. This is what he says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Church, I believe that as kingdom people, as people that have been redeemed from our own ugly past, as people who have Jesus as our very personal confidant, the only one that we can tell things to and know that he'll never tell it to another soul. The only one that we can speak the things that go on in our lives and know that he's not going to look down at us and condemn us, but he's going to put his arm around us and love us. If only we, the church, could really be like Jesus, there'd be a lot less condemnation and a lot more understanding. I think the more I've worked in the ministry, healing people, hearing people, and understanding the agony and the pain and the hurts of life, and the more I've lived life, the more gracious I've become because I see what God has done in me and for me and how he's overlooked my mistakes and overlooked my sin and overlooked some of my stupidest decisions and yet always with grace and always with patience he comes and he embraces and he picks me up and puts me together again. Yeah. You know the nursery rhyme? Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. This is one Humpty Dumpty that the king of kings was able to come and put back together again. It's important that the church becomes kingdom-minded. We don't just want a large auditorium. We want more broken people who find Jesus Christ and get set free. You see, the church is meant to be God's arm reaching the lost. 
And so as I talk to you about kingdom mentality and kingdom attitude, you hear me the first six, eight weeks of this series, I talked about the power of the name of Jesus, how we have authority over demons, and how we can heal the sick and cast devils out of people's lives. But now you're hearing me talk about lifestyle, your lifestyle. You're hearing me talk about attitude, your attitude. The attitude that God wants you and me to possess. It's one thing to be blessed and be fortunate that we're citizens of the kingdom of God here and now. And oh, look at all the things that we benefit from. It's another thing to be an active participant as a citizen of the kingdom of God and do what the king is wanting to do. There's a whole world to get saved. There are people that are broken. There are stories that haven't been told yet. There are people whose lives have not yet been rescued. And God wants to rescue them. But he can only do it with a church that isn't caught up in themselves or caught up in their own personal gratification. You and I, the church, have got to change our vision of what Christianity has been, and we've got to adopt a kingdom mentality and a kingdom vision. We are here on this earth to sow seed into the kingdom of God and into the ministries that will touch people's lives, change them, and set them free. We are here to be actively engaged in the work of rescuing the lost and setting captives free. Come on, church. Somebody cheer me on. It's not that God is against prosperity. He's against it all being stopped up in one place and not doing any good for everybody else. And God's not a communist. You know, every man will have according to what they sow. What you sow, you will reap. God's not a communist. What you sow, you will reap. But even not being a communist, God is a God who is a generous God and he wants his sons and daughters to be generous just like him. Amen. We're not talking about equally redistributing wealth. Next week, I'll be talking about rewards in heaven, and you will have in eternity, you will have in eternity what you have sown in this life. And while God will love us all equally, and we will equally live in the presence of God, to some will be given greater areas of responsibility and honor because they chose wisely on earth and served him diligently it's the truth so Jesus says don't store up your wealth and your treasures here on earth where the economy can wipe it away in a single year but start investing in the kingdom of God you see I asked you last week from what Jesus said are you rich towards God here, now Jesus is saying, store up treasures, have a thesaurus of precious things waiting for you. Don't store up your treasures on earth, but store them up in, in heaven where moth and vermin can't destroy. You can't serve two masters. If you're living for the almighty dollar, you'll never live for Jesus Christ. The litmus test 
To which master you're serving is this. You know what a litmus test is, right? It's a little strip of paper, and uh, they put it in, in a solution, and it'll gauge whether it's uh, uh, alkaline or acidic. And it'll change colors accordingly. And they, the, the whole phrase of litmus test has become a, a, an expression used today with various applications and a litmus test is a foolproof guarantee of what is and what isn't. And that's how the term is used today, the litmus test. It's not necessarily the chemical analytical test. It is now a phrase used to denote something that is a foolproof, concrete means of measure. And the litmus test of whether or not we're serving two masters is this here. When someone talks about giving generously towards God, if you start to tighten up and get a little bit of pushback or resentment, you're probably serving two masters. Here, another litmus test. When the congregation goes real quiet. I wrote here, if you can't give sacrificially out of your lack, you'll never give sacrificially out of your plenty. One of the deceptions of people who have moderate means, same deception of people who have little to no means. You know, you could have a little money and be very generous, and you could have a little money and still be a stingy hoarder. And one of the things throughout Ministry, over 40 years now, I've been preaching and pastoring churches, pastoring people well over 40 years. I started pretty young, and I'm still pretty young. <laughs> but one of the things I hear people often say, well, if I win the lottery, man, I'm going to give a lot of money to the church. No, you won't. If you can't give in your lack, you won't give in your plenty. And it's the truth. It's the truth. You see, the key to giving when you have very little is knowing that God is your source. And either you know God is your source or you don't know it. And so if you have very little and yet you can give in your lack and be generous because you know God is your source, then when you have plenty, you know it's never going to disappear. God is my source. And you keep on giving. But in your lack, if you're convinced that I got to hold on to every penny and when I get a windfall, then I'll be generous, you never got hold of the revelation that God is your source. What allows us to be generous is the conviction that God is the wind in our sails. What allows us to be generous is that we believe that wealth isn't something I created, it's something that God ordained and he's willing to share it with me. 
What makes us generous is looking beyond ourselves and beyond our own needs and seeing that God has a need. And God's need is to reach as many hearts of broken people and to advance the message of Jesus Christ. Listen, we're comfortable here today, but if we could fit another 500 people who could be touched by the blood of Jesus and their broken stories could become stories of resurrection, what a phenomenal goal that would be. It's not about numbers. It's not a race of church growth. It's a race against the kingdom of darkness. It's a race against the clock to reach as many men, women, young people as possible. Every day we read in the news about shoot-ups in schools and shoot-ups in the mall and drive-by shootings. What we need is to have drive-by resurrections, Christians in the marketplace, speaking the power of the name of Jesus and releasing miracles in people's lives. I'm believing God that we'll have satellite churches. Even if or even when God enables us to have more land even when God enables us to seat more people, there's still another billion that are perishing. You see, what slows the church down the most is worldliness in the church. And I'm not talking about just carnal sin. I'm talking about the fact that we get caught up serving the wrong master. We go on living for the sake of what we can earn and how much we can get rather than living to see how much we can give. Stop. Think about what I just said. Most people are focused on how much we can get, rather than being focused on how much we can give. And don't let your mediocre means or poverty or your wealth stop you from being generous to God. Because the key to generosity is knowing that God is your source. And a rich man who doesn't know God is his source will still be stingy. And a poor man who doesn't understand God is his source, his source will also be stingy. But when we understand the solid rock that we stand on, when we understand that God was willing to move heaven and earth to get us saved, then God will move heaven and earth to put a coat on our back and to put food on our table and no matter how much we give into the kingdom of God, God will always give back. You see, every one of us has some form of debt, whether it's a house, a car loan, or bills, or college loans, whatever, we have debt. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter how much you pour into the kingdom of God, God will never be a debtor. He won't have a debt. You know why? God will never be in debt. You know why? Because no matter how much you invest in your life, no matter how much you give financially, no matter how much you give of your time, God will always give back to you more than you gave him. God will never be a debtor. You will never outgive God. The more you give to God, the more God will give back. It's the truth. We have to get past the fear of letting go. We look at what we have and if there's a call to give, 
We're afraid of what we're going to have less. And our eyes need to be on the source. And the source isn't your hand. The source is your heavenly Father in heaven. Listen, I know it's a little bit quieter today. And I know that I'm going deep into people's hearts and attitudes. Let me share one more thing as I get ready to close here this morning. There's the story of a rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. Verse 18 to 25, we have the whole story, and I'm going to condense it. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he says, Good teacher, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There's only one who is good. Now, we use the word good for a lot of things. In the biblical sense, good is so pure, it's absolutely perfect. There's not even a hint of gray. Today, we use good for just about anything. But good in the spiritual sense, in the biblical sense, speaks of God's absolute perfection. And he says, why do you call me good? Only God is perfect. And Jesus started to talk to this young man, and this young man said, I have kept the law from my childhood up. I've honored my mother and my father. I haven't broken the commandments. You've got to admit, that's quite an admirable feat. I can tell you unequivocally, I've broken the commandments, and not just once. And not just one. And this man is talking to Jesus, and he's talking about all the good things that he's done. And Jesus, no doubt, conceded that if this man was able to live according to the law and not sin in any of these areas, it was quite an, a remarkable achievement. But then Jesus threw a wrench into the works. And he says, there's one thing you're lacking. He says, you're very wealthy. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the Bible says that the man walked away very saddened in his heart. You see, people think they're wealthy. And the problem with when wealth becomes your goal, it'll become your God. And when wealth becomes your goal and it becomes your God, you're actually not wealthy anymore. You're poor because your wealth owns you. It'll lock up your heart. It'll lock up your benevolence. It'll lock up your generosity. It'll lock up the deepest, fullest version of who you were meant to be. And it'll strip you of your purpose and your destiny in Jesus Christ. And so, in this here story, I want to read... Verse 22, when Jesus heard all of this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. You see, we are more convinced of our 501, 401. I don't have one, so I don't. (laughs) We are more convinced of what our 401 could do. 
We're more convinced of what our retirement plan can give us. We are more convinced about our financial strategy and our financial plans, and everyone should have one. But what I am saying is we are more convinced of a financial return from a worldly system than we are convinced of a divine return from the kingdom of God. Yeah, that wasn't a good enough amen. You see, because I mean what I'm saying, and I'm saying what I mean. We have more confidence, even though we know there are risks in investing, even though we know things could go topsy-turvy, we still live, if someone were to be watching our lifestyle, we live with greater confidence in this risky, dis, dis, uh, risky uh, scheme of things here on earth than having confidence in the financial institution of God. Jesus said, you still lack one thing. You see, last week he was asking us, are you rich towards God? This week he's saying, don't store up your treasures on earth. Don't make earth your priority. Don't make this lifestyle be the thing that catches you up. I hate the fact that in the American gospel, Jesus becomes something we add to our life. In the gospel that Jesus preached and every time he talked about the kingdom, he called everyone to follow him and to live for the kingdom of God on earth. He called everyone to not just be a believer. In fact, you won't find the word believer in the Bible. You'll find a disciple. He's called every one of us to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we can't get out of our own way. And when we can't get out of our own way, we're in God's way. Hang on a second. I talked about this last week. If you don't say it, I'm going to say it. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. We need to hear this, Pastor Rob. Come on, church. I want to increase the measure of our reach into the community that God has put us in. And for that to happen, you and I have got to start to believe wholeheartedly that God is our source. And if God is our source, it doesn't matter how much we pour into the kingdom of God on earth. Not only will we be blessed in the kingdom of heaven, but he will also bless us in the kingdom of earth as well. God is no man's debtor. Break that down in a street language and what it means is you can't ever give so much to God that God owes you. God is no man's debtor. Whatever you give, he will give back, pressed down, shaken together, running out all over. You give your life, sow your life. He will give you life more abundantly. The more we pour into the things of God and the more we live for the kingdom of God and the more we make it our goal to save and reach people less fortunate than ourselves, the more the kingdom of heaven will stand to their feet and champion us as we march through this world. You will hear the courts of heaven shouting about the sons of God on earth. Amen. Amen! Thank you. 
I'm trying, you know, I'm just starting. That was Chris? Come here, Chris. Dude, you're a man who's lived in the hood and lived on the street, but you have become a sincere follower of Jesus. And what I love is, while you may not have the years of knowledge that some of these people have, you have the intensity of heart. I love it, man. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Proud of you. Thank God. Amen. Amen. I, I, I was told the other day that uh, you absolutely didn't believe in God before this stuff happened with Rebecca. Correct. What was your opinion? What was your view? I, I was, uh, I guess you would call it agnostic. Okay. I was very away from it. You know, I, I blamed him for everything that would happen in my life pretty much. Um, I, was, I never felt it up until that point, um, but it's, it's like light and day. Whole other, like 180 degrees, completely different. Just being here with the music and every the community, the kingdom of God. I feel it every time I'm here. The sensations, the the gooseies, if you will. Yeah, I feel it every time. The gooseies. I'll use that in my next sermon. Yeah, yeah. And then your word, your gospel, and then oh, the I can't get enough of the music. We need CDs of the music. <laughs> what did it do to your brain when you saw? Here's an impossible situation, and your girlfriend is as good as dead, and the hospital's not giving you any hope. That particular night, they said, that's it. She's done. What went through your head when you saw the miraculous presence of God come into that room and touch Rebecca? What were you thinking as you're watching it? Honestly, I couldn't think. It was just clarity. It was just feeling. It was sensation, emotion, just allowing myself to to pretty much just embrace what was going on, what I was feeling and the, the presence that I may not have understood was there, but was there, <laughs> despite my belief or not. I heard afterwards someone told me something you said, and I'm going to give you publicly the opportunity to say, no, that wasn't true, and, and correct me or verify it. But I heard something like this was said, that you said, Man, whatever this is, I need this kind of community. Correct. Correct. And I was at the hospital that very night. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So if this guy can shout good preaching, Pastor Rob, all of you that grew up in church, all of you that have been saved for the last two or three years, don't forget where God brought you from and show the first love you had at the beginning and be radically, fanatically excited about the only one who's worth getting up about. Can I get an agreement? So with that, I want everyone to give my Jesus a standing ovation. Come on, come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Praise God. Yes! Yes! Thank you, Jesus. All right, take your seats. I'm going to wrap this up. One verse. Guys, put this on the screen for me. The emphasis in this story is generosity towards God. Last week, are you rich towards God? This story. 
that was recorded in the Gospels. It's not a parable. This guy went down in flames. This rich young ruler walked away despondent because all the money he thought he had, he didn't have. It had him. He walked away despondent. The emphasis is generosity towards God. When we're generous towards God, God will be even more generous towards us. Do you understand? If you, if you remember nothing from this message, I want you to understand this. God will never be a debtor to you. One, it doesn't matter how much you give God. God will never owe you. He'll never owe you. You know why? Because no sooner you let go of that thing and money isn't your master, and I'm not singling you out. I got a call on somebody. <laughs> the blessing, the overflow, the press down, shaken together, running out all over has already been decreed out of God's mouth. If we're going to go where God wants to take us, then we need to let go of our fears and our insecurities. We need to let go of what holds us materially. And we need to get hold of a vision of Jesus and sow into the kingdom of God so that we could see a lot more people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. As Jesus shared this story about the rich young ruler, the young man walks away, and this is what Jesus said. Verse 29, truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife, brothers or sisters, parents or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, will fail to receive Many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. See, Jesus wasn't preaching against wealth or prosperity. He was preaching against you making it a God, me making it a God, making it our priority. I want to use wealth to further the works of God on earth. I want to use prosperity to... Fulfill God's dreams of what the church can be and what the church can look like and what the church can do in a broken, hurting world. There it is. Jesus said it. I tell you, truly, truly, I tell you. In the King James, it says, verily, verily, I tell you. When you study that phrase, verily, verily, I tell you, in the Greek, it means I make an oath upon a truth. Did you hear me? Verily, verily, I tell you. In the Greek, it means I make an oath upon a truth. This is an unalterable fact. It is immutable. It cannot be changed. So whenever he uses that phrase, that's what he's saying. I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parent or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. How big is your bank account in heaven? Come on, stand with me.
Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about breaking the debt over this church. Why? To never get into debt again? No. To have jockeying position with the financial institutions so that we can reach out and do more than what we're doing now. I could be very satisfied here. I get a paycheck. I get sufficient. And I could just write out my gig and just keep doing this till I retire or Jesus comes home or I die. But I'm hearing too many cries of broken girls who have been abused, broken boys, men in their 50s, and they've never gotten it together, and their heart aches, and their lives are empty. And it's the cry of the hurting and the cry of the lost that supersedes my cry for my personal gain. When we live for him, you can give it all away, and you'll only get back 10 times more. We have got to become kingdom-minded in our wallets as well as in our hearts. Are you with me, church? Yes. Yeah. America's going to wreck and ruin. And if the church of Jesus Christ doesn't get off its took us, we don't get off our butts, you know, that's what but does. Every time you say but, every time you find a reason or an excuse, it'll just keep you on your butt. That's what but does. There should be no buts in the kingdom language. I challenge you. We all love hearing about the power and the authority and seeing the miracles. I'm telling you what Jesus would say. Invest your life in the kingdom of God on earth. Invest your life. Invest your life. Invest your life. Don't be satisfied with giving a token offering every once in a while. It's not your money he wants, he wants you. Because if he has you, he'll have everything. And if you let him have you, he will give you everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Praise God. Are you rich in heaven? What is it? A 401? 401k? Why not B? Why K? A 401k. Listen, I have a great retirement plan in heaven. And I'm putting as much as I can, I'm paying it forward. See, we, we, we coined that phrase here. It's become cultural. It was part of a movie, pay it forward, help somebody else. But when you are paying it forward and helping someone else, you are literally paying it forward and storing up a treasure in eternity. I challenge you to make progressive decisions over the next few weeks 
to determine that you're going to live more kingdom-minded than worldly-minded. You're going to live to fulfill God's dream on earth. Because I know that if I build God's house, God will build my house. He's the one who said it. If you give up this, you give up that, I'll give you 10 times more in this life and in the life to come. He won't be a debtor. He will pay back with great interest, pressed down, shaken together, and running out all over the place. Amen. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, let me tell you, that's the first thing you've got to give. We try to hold our lives together. We try to control everything. People have abused us, messed us up, screwed us up. People have literally gone to town at tearing us down. And we've become so determined, I'm not letting anybody in. I'm going to be the master of me. And the amazing thing is that the moment you let go of ownership of who you are, and you ask Jesus Christ into your heart and you surrender to him, he'll give you your life back, put together again. Amen. You see, church, everything I've been preaching about finances and giving, you already experienced the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ. You screwed up the one life you had and you gave it to him and he's been unraveling it and fixing it ever since. These are the eternal principles of God. You can't give him something without him giving it back better. Better. So if you believed it for your salvation, why can't you believe it for your finances? Good point, Pastor Rob. You just went too deep. That's like the sucker punch you didn't expect. But it's true. And don't blame me. Blame the Holy Spirit because it just came to me. But it's true. You would not have this salvation if you didn't let go of your life and give it to Him. And everything you enjoy now as a born-again child of God, co-heir with Jesus Christ, is because at one point you believed in the principle and you let go and gave your life to God and he's given you back a better life. To the church, I say, do the same with everything in your life. Do it with your finances. Do it with your attitude. Do it with your time. And see if God doesn't pour back with great dividends. To those of you who've never asked Jesus in your heart, I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm asking you to join Jesus. Don't ask Jesus just to join you. Throw yourself in at Jesus. Religion cannot save you. Religion cannot wipe away your tears. It'll give you tears. Religion can't solve the hurts and the pains deep down inside of you. Religion will conflict you. But a relationship with Jesus Christ, he has untangled more knots in my soul than a deep tissue massage therapist has ever done on my back. He has unknotted me. 
The world knots us up, but God will unknot us. Now, if you've never asked Jesus Christ in your heart today, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've been through or what you've done. What matters in God's eyes is what you're going to do in the next three minutes. Will you say yes to the one who did something awesome for you? Eyes closed. Not asking you to join this church. But if you know your life isn't right with God, if you know there are voids deep down inside, then I also want you to know that Jesus can fix it and change it. If you're ready this morning to say yes to Jesus, and right now I want you to break out and lift your hand and say, I want Jesus to come into my heart. Come on, raise your hand right now wherever you are and welcome Jesus to come into your life. I see that hand. Thank you, sir. You can put it down. I see that hand, ma'am. Thank you. God bless you. Who else? Raise your hand right now and say, I want Jesus to come into my life. I want God to come inside of me and love on me and wash me and clean me and make me whole. Who else here this morning before we close this service is willing to say yes to Jesus? Father, I thank you for your moving on people's lives. I thank you for that man and that woman that so honestly just lifted their hands and unashamedly said, I want Jesus in me. I ask you to touch them and bless them. I ask you to breathe over this congregation. And those that are still in the decision process, Holy Spirit, don't let up on them. Don't give up on them. Break down every wall until they surrender and let you come into their lives. Amen. For those of you who have raised your hand here in the auditorium as well as online, I want you to, everyone, everyone in this building, to repeat this prayer after me, but especially those of you that raised your hand. This is your moment. This is your time. God has seen you, and God is going to touch you and visit you and reawaken the things that have been lost. Amen. Everyone, repeat after me. Dear God, I believe you love me. Jesus Christ. I believe you are God and you died on that cross for me. Jesus, I need you. I want you. And I welcome you to come into my life. I give it to you. I literally give my life to you. Receive Mistakes and all. And with your love, forgive me. Wash me. Make me smell clean again. I need you, Jesus. And I thank you for hearing my prayer and accepting me today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, put your hands together for those who prayed that prayer. Amen. Amen.
Amen. As you go about living this week, this month, for the rest of your life, what masters are you serving? I want it to be a clear, definitive, obvious statement. The one master I'm living for is Jesus Christ and his kingdom. I challenge you, don't go to church. Become the church. Let's rise up. Let's be different. Let's not be satisfied with putting in a token amount of time or a token gift. Let's sow our whole lives. That's what I love the most about my mom and dad. They left everything they knew and took three New York Italian boys to the ends of the earth. Thank God they didn't do it, drop us off there and then come home. <laughs> they took us to the ends of the earth and they served God by serving people they didn't know. And I watched them love these strangers. Having left their own family, they came to another world, so to speak, and loved people they never knew. And I watched up. I, I grew up watching that. I knew the pain of my own life, not being with my family in America. But I watched how lovingly my parents loved on people and met their needs, all because they loved Jesus. Let's live like that. God bless you. Have a great week.